Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, March 28th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk Ukraine and Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson with U.S. Senator Roger Wicker and the case for a more humane criminal justice system in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is on track for its largest ever tax cut. The Republican-controlled State House and Senate voted by wide margin Sunday to pass a bill that would reduce the state income tax over four years, beginning in 2023. The bill goes to Republican Governor Tate Reeves. He has indicated he will sign it. Supporters say a significant tax cut could spur economic growth and attract new residents to Mississippi. Opponents say reducing the income tax would mean less money for schools, health care, roads and other services, especially hurting poor and working class residents. Roger Wicker represents Mississippi in the U.S. Senate alongside fellow Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith. He's had that job since 2007. And in January of this year, Wicker thrust himself into a national conversation around President Biden's pick to replace outgoing Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. At the time, Biden hadn't named a nominee but pledged to nominate a black female. Wicker disparaged that promise during an appearance on conservative radio station Supertalk. That's conservative radio station Supertalk. He's just fulfilling a campaign promise. He told the whole world that's exactly what he was going to do. The irony is that the Supreme Court is at the very same time hearing cases about about this sort of affirmative racial <laughs> discrimination. Yes. And, 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 and while adding someone who is the beneficiary of, uh, of this sort of quote, uh, the, the majority of the court may be uh, saying uh, writ large, it's unconstitutional. We'll see how that irony works out. Biden did indeed nominate a black woman, former federal judge Katanji Brown Jackson. On Friday, Wicker said he intends to vote against her confirmation. MPB's Michael Guidry spoke with the senator a few hours before he announced his decision. I doubt um, she will get very many Republican votes, maybe one or two. But uh, uh, and, and I haven't uh, announced my position on that. But uh, I, I do agree with uh, Senator McConnell. He felt she was out of the judicial mainstream, uh, was uh, um, 
a, a, a more of an activist judge than he would like to vote for. So uh, I will, uh, un, unless something drastic changes, I'll be voting no on that. And uh, I think it, it's likely to be more of a party line vote. And I noticed you're wearing the, the, the double flag lapel there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the, the, what's happening right now with, with the legislative branch of, of our government's doing uh, to, to support the, the people in, in the leadership in Ukraine? Well, uh, the money is there um, to provide assistance. Uh, I do think the president has been slow in, uh, in getting everything that we possibly could to uh, our Ukrainian friends. Um, they have done remarkably well. Um, I would like to see more talk about helping the Ukrainians win rather than uh, looking for an off-ramp for uh, Vladimir Putin some way out of this. I think he's made a grave mistake. I do believe he's committed war crimes and should be tried by an international tribunal. Um, But in, in, in the meantime, the resolute Ukrainians in defending their own country, it turns out uh, that they had more military capacity than the international community thought they did. And uh, with a little more assistance, some anti-ship um, weapons to protect those cities that are being bombarded uh, along the southern border of Ukraine, um, and some more anti-aircraft uh, weaponry that we can get from other NATO countries, including those uh, close around there, um, I think there's an opportunity for Mr. Putin to be defeated. It looks like he's headed toward settling in uh, uh, to uh, a long frozen conflict, much as we have in Transnistria or much as we have in those two northern provinces of the Republic of Georgia. That would be unfortunate, but I, I think he's made a grave miscalculation. His military has been shown not to be as good as um, as it was uh, touted to be, and I don't, I don't think Russia can be called a major military power uh, at this point. They are a nuclear power, and that's sobering. There's no question about it. But uh, my my heart and... Um, and the hearts of most Americans are with these Ukrainian people who are just fighting for the right to live in a free country where elections occur, where they change administrations as we do in this country. Uh, this president um, was elected in a runoff, defeating an incumbent president there. It's the sort of future, westward-looking, freedom-looking uh, uh, approach uh, that more and more countries in Eastern Europe are, are moving toward, and I think they have abs- uh, uh, absolutely every right to do that. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Thinking back to January of, of twenty twenty uh, and, and the first impeachment of President Trump, and some of the some of the details that came out between his relationship um, with, with uh, President Zelensky. Uh, do you think back on that and with, with any with any clarification or, or no? My my vote would still have been not guilty. Um, and you know we we were we were put in the uh, interesting unprecedented case of of uh, the House of Representatives um, impeaching someone who is no longer in office. Uh, so my my position has not changed. I, we've had two impeachment trials of uh, Donald Trump, and 
I voted not guilty both well, and times. And I was referring to the 2021 where the, the, the subject of the impeachment, articles of impeachment, was the, the phone call with President Zelensky. Um, I, I did not think that any uh, approached an impeachable offense um, even closely. Thank you, Senator. And my position has not changed. Thank Thanks you, much. Thank you. Coming up, the case for a more humane criminal justice system in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Hundreds of millions of dollars in Federal American Rescue Plan Act funding remain in the custody of Mississippi's legislature. It's still unclear exactly when and exactly how that money will be allocated. That's a concern for people like Brent Bailey, Mississippi Central District Public Service Commissioner. Currently, three cities in Bailey's district, Jackson, Meridian, and Greenville are under federal consent decrees for failures in their water and sewer systems. Bailey tells us he believes the federal money could help jumpstart the long and expensive process of improving the state's infrastructure. But right now, he says pending projects are stuck in limbo. As we well know, there's certainly tremendous needs around the state, particularly in the Central District with the condition of our water and wastewater systems and other utility infrastructure, you know, even the lack of certain services that relates to uh, comprehensive broadband access. And while this is a, you know, a, a major injection of federal resources into the state level that can be leveraged with the monies already committed to county and municipalities, just see a wonderful opportunity to improve those services as it relates to public health and safety, economic development with these areas, and just improving our quality of life for Mississippi citizens. And I understand there's there's issues to be resolved at the Capitol, some related, some maybe not. But, you know, we, we hope that the, the legislatures act quickly and prudently and uh, help leverage these resources that are currently in place and allow the municipalities. I, I know they can already move forward, but many of them are waiting if there is an opportunity to uh, obtain further resources, additional resources to make even greater investments, long-term investments in infrastructure in these areas. And what would you like to see the money allocated to? You mentioned broadband and water infrastructure. Are there other items that you'd like to see addressed in the state? Well, the ARPA language, the American uh, the ARPA uh, legislation really defines certain areas, as I say, water, waste, water, broadband, but also help with the, the cost of COVID and, and the economic impact to uh, state and municipal, state counties, municipalities. But And we understand that there are certainly ways to, to allow that to be addressed. But, you know, just sort of from our perspective at the Public Service Commission, the regulation of utilities, and we certainly would like to see ample share of dollars committed and applied to ensuring the long-term sustainability and reliability of those utility services. The money that the municipalities are getting, is that enough to deal with these issues? I'm certainly not going to. I don't believe it's um, to that extent, particularly when you look at the needs to be applied all across the state, as well as some areas have 
significant needs as we see within the metro area and even across other parts of the central district across the state. But it certainly gets us um, headed in the right direction. It can make significant headway in addressing the most critical concerns and hopefully pull us out of some of these consent degrees and other litigation matters that are ongoing and put us on a hopefully a sustainable pathway with future planning and understanding the resources needed to make uh, these investments sustainable and uh, to relieve some of the the problems down the road. We didn't get here overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight, but this is certainly a, a, a great opportunity to begin a conscientious path of of allocating responsible resources to you know removing the the uncertainty that is out there when it comes to the health of our infrastructure our local communities coming to you i mean we we've certainly heard some concerns out there as as, as folks want to have greater access to certainty as they plan their budgets going forward um projects that are at the ready, but if additional resources can be applied to that, then you can accomplish a lot more at the time of once you have these contracts secured and begin acquiring the materials necessary to provide these long-term fixes. Will you and the other public service commissioners be going to the legislature to talk to lawmakers about this? It's outside our regulatory purview. I think they fully understand that, you know, Customers have been calling our offices, and that's something we have relayed to them regarding their um, related to the legislature regarding you know their concerns, their the, the lack of service opportunities, and the lack of inadequate service given the demands of consumers nowadays, the number of devices that are out there and available, and the amount of data that is uh, that consumers want to move around and utilize. The legacy systems that are in place sometimes do not facilitate that if it's there at all. And I think we all have a we all want a, um, a standard of living and quality of life that, that utilizes modern services, whether it's working from home, scooting from home, taking advantage of telehealth opportunities, and other uh, um, and other services that are out there. You, sometimes that can't be accomplished without adequate, reliable, affordable broadband services. Public Service Commissioner Brent Bailey, thank you so much for speaking with us. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for the opportunity. Anytime. Still ahead, the case for a more humane criminal justice system in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Tomorrow morning, activists from across the state and the country are holding what they're calling a day of empathy at the two Mississippi museums. They're calling for a more humane criminal justice system that prioritizes rehabilitation and support for incarcerated people. The event was organized by Sinetra Freeman, founder of the Mississippi Center for Reentry. The Mississippi Center for Reentry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that was formed April 21, 2017, 
um, to provide access to second chances for those who are currently housed at a Mississippi Department of Corrections facility or at one of the local jails in DeSoto, Tunica, Tate, and Marshall counties. How can you help them? We provide uh, an array of services. So what we do is I try to um, work with them while they're currently incarcerated, at least six months to a year before they're being released. Um, if they're at the county jail, of course, you know, that would be a, a lot shorter frame time for that. And we just work with them and create a reentry plan. So whatever is identified on that reentry plan, whether it's trying to get their GED, whether it's they feel they need to have mental health services, if they need clothes and they need shoes, they need um, food, security, housing. We try to match them with our housing partner, um, employment placement. At the local jails, I do the um, NGO employment readiness class, um, six weeks. And it basically just prepares them to actually get um, employment. However, I do assessments to make sure that they are, like, employment ready. What I mean by that is, yes, someone may say that they want to, you know, get out and start working, but they might not be actually ready or they might not be in the headspace to actually start working. So we just do a lot of things. We even help them. Um, if they want to go back to school, I try to help them to get back into school. It's, it's just a lot of things that we do. It's an array of services that we offer, and it all depends on what their reentry case plan comes out to be. How many approximately can you help? Sounds like a lot of work. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Last year, we helped 245 individuals. You are having a program at the two Mississippi museums, and it is about reentry and empathy. Why a Mississippi Day of Empathy? Because we need to change the narrative for formerly incarcerated individuals with the um, state uh, legislators and the senators because they're looking at it from a law perspective, and I get it. I totally get it. But at the same time, we believe that everyone deserves a second chance, and we want them to be able to just kind of think a little thorough when it comes to the criminal justice reform bills that are coming up, such as the ban the box that can actually help individuals to maybe get um, interviews because they don't have to check a box that says, yes, I've been convicted of a felony. Or um, another bill that actually died was the expungement bill. We, we're trying to expand um, what charges can be expunged for someone's record. Again, that can help someone to get a job, which can actually boost Mississippi's economy. Uh, we can get these individuals to work. There's, so those are just some of the bills that um, we were advocating for. I believe there's a couple of them that are still on the on the table, but I'm you know I'm not really watching those because they're not my favorites. Um, we're just trying to spark a conversation with the members of the legislators so that they can have you know better informed decisions when it comes to passing or not passing criminal justice reform bills here in the state of Mississippi. And that box you referred to is on the employment application, which asks if you've ever uh, been convicted of a crime. Correct. Mm -hmm. There is a movement within the Mississippi legislature among certain lawmakers to have more reforms because of the cost of incarceration. Also, you have this conflict with all of the crime that is going on, the violent crime right now, where you have groups of people, young men, um, some women, involved in 
gangland shootings. Well, I would say uh, for the Day of Empathy, that will be a great place to be able to have that conversation with the victims, um, those who are actually watching this violence that is happening across the state or in a Pacific area or what have you. Um, this will be a great day to spark that that conversation to find out, like, what can we do to change the narrative and change that conversation and try to change the mindset? And I get it. Not everybody should be allowed to be released from prison. But when you have people such as myself who are really trying to change their narrative or do right and, you know, just went in one time and came out and really got their life together, I don't think that people such as myself should continue to be punished for one mistake that was made or one bad decision that was made 20 years ago. Well, how old are you and when were you incarcerated? I am 36, and I was incarcerated in January 1st, 2010. How long were you incarcerated? For a year, 12 months. How did that impact your thought process about your future? It, it greatly impacted it because I was currently in school. I was a pre-law major, getting ready to prepare to go to law school. And then here I am finding myself on the other side of the law being a, an, an attorney to help me fight my case, which I ended up helping my attorney fight my case for me. And it, it was definitely a mind shift because of that one bad decision of being involved with this individual that I was involved with. I lost a lot of important relationships with like my mother and my father and several other members of my family and close friends and even colleagues from, from college. When I was released, you know, I was homeless and, just being released and not being able to have the ability to know where I was going to be sleeping at that night, I felt hopeless, hopelessness. But I was able to continue to endure because of my strong faith in God. And I was able to basically turn my mindset around and turn that narrative around. A lot of times when we are incarcerated, we become institutionalized. And I was able to, with the grace of God, I was able to break that institutionalized mindset so that I wouldn't go back, that I wouldn't go back to that individual that was out doing things that he wasn't supposed to be doing. So you got caught up with someone that you were seeing that was... Yes. Okay. And what were you charged with? Trafficking. Trafficking and heroin. Okay. Okay. So you must meet people who have done similar things. What do you say to them? (laughs) I just give them my story, um, just how, you know, from A to Z. And then I would tell them, you know, in order to really make it, you're going to have to find a grounding um, foundation, which is going to be built in faith, because God is the only one that's really going to allow you to switch your mindset. He's the only one that can help you switch your mindset. If not, you're going to find yourself in this cycle of going back and forth between incarceration and being released. And that's the cycle that I'm trying to stop. Do you find that a lot of the folks that you work with do not go back into prison? That is that is correct because they have their support system. And the Mississippi Center for Reentry is their support system. Usually when an individual goes to um, prison or jail, their family kind of, um, so to speak, writes them off, forgets about them, especially if you've been gone for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and then it's time for you to be released. Half of your family has, you know, died off or, you know, they they don't, they forgot about you. 
So the Mississippi Center for Reentry, we step in, we be that support system, and we help navigate them to reintegrate back into society. Senator Freeman, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us, the founder of the Mississippi Center for Reentry, um, hosting the Mississippi Day of Empathy tomorrow. It's tomorrow at the Tomb Mississippi Museums, and it's also virtual. If people want to participate virtually, what can they do? Yes, ma'am. They can actually go to the um, Dream Corps website, which is um, www.dreamcorps.org, or they can look up the event on Eventbrite. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Freeman. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Yeah.